If someone asked you what industry you're a part of, chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you might say the wool industry or agriculture or the food and fibre industry. But as a wool grower, how often do you consider yourself being a part of the fashion industry? Because truth be told, you are, and you play a crucial part in leading the global fashion and textile trade towards using more eco-friendly natural fibres. You're listening to The Yarn, a podcast for and about the Australian wool industry. And this week, we are focusing on the opposite end of the wool supply chain, the fashion industry. Imagine if we could speak with one of the world's top fashion commentators, Colin McDowell. Colin is best known for his previous work as the Sunday Times chief fashion writer and has worked among the best quality newspapers and magazines in Britain as a fashion journalist for over 20 years. And in 2015, he was the recipient of the WGSN Global Fashion Awards 2015 Hall of Fame, an outstanding international achievement. If we were ever going to get a good overview on the world of fashion, how it has evolved, and most importantly, Wool's relevance in it, Colin would be really good to speak to. Colin, welcome. Thank you for being on The Yarn. And welcome to you. We're having a very typical Welsh day. There are sheep cowering under the hedgerows because it is raining very heavily. And this is midsummer. But I'm delighted to be talking to you. Well, Colin, let's start about your beginnings in the world of fashion and how you got to where you are today. Well, actually, Ali, the truth is that, like everything I've done in my life, I backed into it by mistake. I have never had a game plan. I've never thought, well, this is going to be my career, because um, I think it's stultifying, you know. I started through a girlfriend of mine in Rome, and she was all... I was doing acting and te- do a bit of teaching and stuff like that, and I never made very, any money, not much money. And so when we, we split up, we both came back, and I had been working for a very famous couturier called um, Pino Lanchetti, and then a ready-to-wear designer called Laura Biagiotti, who used a great deal of wool. And then I became the fashion editor of a magazine called Country Life. Now, this was the most bizarre turn in a career which had quite a lot of bizarre turns because it's all about hunting, shooting, farming and all that sort of business. And here they they had a fashion director who was also a man. And it worked. It doesn't sound like a bad magazine, to be honest. Oh, it's my favourite magazine. (laughs) I still read it now. And then I went to the Sunday Times and I absolutely loved it. And then the next stage was to decide to leave London. And I did that. And that's why I live in Wales. Surrounded, I might say, by sheep. And that's rather nice. You know, because I've been up country, as I think you call it, in Australia several times to look at farms, you know, with the Walmart people. And also, years ago, I went to a wool farm, which was um, owned, at least indirectly, by Mr Murdoch. So being a fashion journalist, fashion commentator as such, what does that entail? Well, it entails being very strong because there are lots of people 
who try to persuade you, like kids, you know, oh, my picture's best, sir, or whatever, you know. So you have to be quite strong. I was very lucky because when I was working for the Sunday Times, it was an exceedingly powerful world powerful uh, newspaper you know what it used to when i used to be in brazil or somewhere it was on the newsstands there and everything i loved it but you know i was ready to finish you know because when the fashion weeks are on it's four weeks non-stop you go to new york you come back just in time to send your your uh, shirts and everything to the laundry then the next day you're off to milan then the next one's London, which is easy, of course, if you happen to be based in London. And then the final one is Paris. By which time, it would be terrible if Paris still was not the greatest place of all for fashion. It is just amazing what goes on there. And that sort of puts you on a new level. Then I found I was going to Indian fashion, you know, Bombay, Mumbai, or and... To my horror, someone at the Sunday Times said, do you know there's a fashion week every day of the year in India? Oh, and I just said, uh-oh, <laughs> no. And they said, oh, no, it's tiny little towns, but isn't that amazing? I think I was fair. I was known as being difficult. I've always tried not to be friends with designers, but you do with someone like Christopher Bailey. I know him very well. Rona Murray, who are friends, but because they're friends, they know that if I say, well, I didn't think it was so good, they know that I'm not being malicious. I'm saying it because that's what I believe. When you're sitting in judgment on anybody, you must be seen as being absolutely impartial. You have to be objective rather than subjective. objective and no question about favouritism or anything, you know. I miss it in some ways, but um, I would never go back (laughs) because fashion's changed so much, you know. It's like a river, and if the river's dammed at any point, when you leave and you come back... After the dam, it's a different river. Well, that's true of fashion. You know, it moves so quickly. To be honest, I don't get a lot of the fashion that comes down the runways at all. It leads quite well into my next question, you speaking of that river. How has fashion changed over the years? Well, of course, it's an ageing. The age of fashion has come down and down and down. Really, I guess that it was um, people like Mary Quant way, way back who introduced the mini, which um, any woman of mature years and shape, even if she was slim, the legs change and everything else changes. There's a lovely story. This woman took her daughter down the King's Road to buy a dress for a special occasion. And the daughter, who was about 19 or something, she manoeuvred them to go into Mericont. And the mother was appalled because this was very, very new then. You know, most skirts stopped at knee height at the very... Anyhow, she let her daughter go into the changing room. The daughter came out and her mother said, Oh, my dear, you look ghastly. Take it off. And her daughter said, but mummy, I feel wonderful and I'm not going to take it off, which was lovely. (laughs) 
and that's it. And now it's younger and younger and younger, yeah. and all, nearly all of the really interesting designers now are young, and they're from all over the world. That's what's lovely. You go to Paris and you see people who are from Yugoslavia or South America or whatever, all these young people, and I believe that youth is the future always, and certainly in creativity. I think speaking about youth in industries, I know in agriculture, but it's the same in fashion. You have to you have to nurture the next generation to make sure that that industry continues. And you actually have quite a pivotal role in the International Woolmark Prize as a mentor. Oh, Can yes, absolutely. Tell us about your work there. Oh, I love the mentoring. And I, actually, I quite like the judging. No, I think the Woolmark is particularly good because there is a lot of of mentoring i would like to see more more care with all of these competitions for the ones who were good enough to get to the finals but didn't win i think it's i would like to see more post mentoring do you enjoy the mentoring side of international oh, walmart prize oh i love it i love it and i'm always you know i'm still very despite my age i'm still very pro the young because I see the very best young, you know, intelligent, creative, sensitive, full of ambition. And it, it, uh, I'm convinced, if anything keeps me young, they do. I wish there was some way that you could find something where your body could be kept young as well. You know, <laughs> but there it is. You know. <laughs> so I'm going to pick your brain further. Okay. How has wool evolved throughout the years in fashion? I think that wool has always been strong in clothing, really, all the way through. But I think what happened really with possibly as far as modern approaches were concerned, it happened with the uh, new look and Balenciaga and all of that period, that fantastic period in Paris, where tailoring was still the most important thing. And the only thing that really works, in my opinion, is wool. And so it, it goes back that far. And I think that good designers don't just want to make frilly little frocks. They want the challenge of finding the perfectly set-in sleeve. You can only do that with something which is soft, and malleable, but also has a texture which does what you want it to do. I used to work for a designer in Italy, and we used to be up until you start eight in the morning. We used to sometimes, when near the collection time, the show time, we'd be up at about one o'clock in the morning, feeding the model black coffee and holding her so she didn't faint. And the sleeve, with my inexpert eye, I thought was lovely, was torn out by the maestro. And at one time, he turned to the cutter and he said, if Balenciaga can do it, why can't I? It was about two o'clock in the morning and I said quietly to myself, because you're not Balenciaga. <laughs> but no, that's why wool is so popular. And of course, it works you know, if wool gets wet, that's fine. It dries off and 
It's got everything, in my opinion. It's also, now, it's not just heavy, chunky stuff. It's very fine and soft and, and malleable, you know. Yeah, and we see that in the range of woolen products available today, activewear, mm-hmm. and no doubt you would see all these kind of innovations through the international Woolmark Prize designs as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And the other thing about wool is that it's ageless. You know, it can be well made into clothes that are suitable for women of a certain, and men of a certain age. And of course, the only thing that is a benevolent fabric is denim. Anyone can wear denim, but I still think wool's got much more to offer. <laughs> We're very fortunate being Australian wool growers. We have a great provenance, like a great story to tell about wool. Do you think that fashion designers are becoming more in touch with the story of wool and showcasing the raw product in their end products? I'm not sure about that because, as I say, I'm not now at the coalface, but I do think that the Woolmark does a hell of a lot of work showing people what it's all about, you know. It's a pity that Australia is so far away from a lot of the fashion capitals because the ideal thing would be to just put them on a plane and say, come and look. I mean, to me, it was an eye-opener. The very f- I've been twice, I think, to, to wool growing farms. And um, it's, a, it's a real eye-opener. You know, and it's a pity that designers can't um, do that. But I'll tell you a story, a lovely story. Very famous, very, very famous photographer came to Italy when I was working for someone and um, we went out into the country to photograph the clothes. And way, 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 he lo- this is absolutely true, this, this Manhattan man said, what are they? And I said, they're sheep. He said, are they mean? I said, no, if you got any nearer, they'd run away. Are you sure? You know, I don't think he, I don't think he did his best pictures because he was terrified <laughs> that they were going to come and attack him. I mean, you know, uh, yeah. we've gone off... That was way, way back, 30 years ago. I think we've moved on a bit since I think, then. I certainly hope we I have. I should hope so, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. So in your opinion, Colin, what do you think that we can be or should be doing as wool growers? Um, to play our part in increasing the global demand for wool? Well, I think that you've got to do a lot of research, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that the wool mark has bursaries and things for colleges like, say, Imperial College in, in, in London, who are where you have scientists doing things. I know you'll do all of that, and that's important. I think that what really, and it's a, a usual cry, the wool mark needs more and more money. Because the more people who you can take to Australia and the more people that you can involve with the whole process of creating the wool, manufacturing the garments and everything, so that everybody knows. I think that what is important is to do good films. So it's an education side of things. Education, yeah. education, education. And I think that's going to come from, you know, wool growers on the farms, manufacturers, yeah. brokers, everyone yeah. along the supply chain sort yeah. of needs to play their part. Yes, exactly. I would I would institute some sort of system whereby there was a bursary for people who went to work on a wool growers farm for maybe 
three months or something. I think wool growers would really like that. that? <laughs> well, I, no, I think it's a very good idea. And the government, the Australian government, should, of course, um, support that because then they would go back with... Because I do... I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to Australians. I find Australians very open. And, you know, it would have to be a very strange person. Man, boy, woman, girl, who did not find the experience working with the jackaroos and everything for maybe maybe just a month, I don't know, um, we, we would find it life-enhancing. It would be unforgettable for Absolutely, them. absolutely. So talk to somebody. <laughs> Finally, while I've got you here, where do you hope to see wool in the future? Well, in space, clearly. clearly. I mean, I think the space race has really geared up now and... They're going to be out there in all sorts of places. And it seems to me that wool, as opposed to synthetic fabrics, is the one that will be the safest and the best for them. I mean, wool is pretty... It's largely fire-resistant, you know. And that's very important because there are dangerous things up there. You don't know what. No, I think that... um, Look, it's just about one of the oldest fabrics of all. And I think it can go on until the bitter end when everything sort of disappears, you know? Well, I certainly hope to see wool on the moon and beyond as well. I'm sure sure you will. And not only on people's bodies, but also in all of the machinery and everything, you know, the technology, you know? Absolutely. Well, Colin, thank you for joining us on The Yarn and speaking with Australian wool growers. Thank you. I'd just like to say I'm very happy to have been asked to do this interview. It's been very interesting and I've learned a little bit about how I think about wool as well. That was fashion journalist and commentator Colin McDowell. And just touching on his final words there about his shift in how he was thinking about wool, I hope Colin's insights have enlightened you on Wool's current position in the fashion world and most importantly, re-emphasise the pivotal contribution that wool producers have always and will continue to play in the global fashion industry. Well, that's all for this week. If you have any feedback on this week's episode, please get in touch with us at theyarnatwool.com and you can follow us on Twitter at Wool Innovation and Instagram at Beyond the Bale. I'm Ellie Bigwood. Thanks for your company and I look forward to our next yarn.